Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Pavel Baines, uh, CEO of Boozell.com. Pavel, how are you doing? Very good. How are you doing, Richard? Yeah, doing good. Thanks Thanks so much for coming. Um, would you uh, tell uh, guests what, uh, what Boozell does? But, you know, let's just start with a basic intro, and then you know, we'll get into your background and everything. Yeah, at a high level, to keep it really simple, what Boozell does is, our philosophy is just to basically hide the blockchain plumbing for enterprises. So essentially what we do is make it easy. Our target market is enterprise customers, um, financial services, and more recently, non-financial services want to leverage the blockchain. And instead of learning all the hard parts about it and investing into the tech, what we do is take all the blockchain plumbing away from them and basically give them the applications and the products they need for their customers and really just handle all the back end so they don't need to invest into that. So all they can do is focus on their end customers and get the product they need as opposed to trying to keep up with this ever-evolving and rapidly changing technology. Makes sense. Okay. So um, you said financial institutions. What what kind of problems are you solving for them? What do they need help with? What's happened in, well, more recently, the obvious one always is, um, you know, people always think payments for blockchain and financial institutions. What we found is over the past just uh, eight months, we're, we've gone to non-payments. Uh, primarily right now, we're focused on uh, KYC and identity, basically identity management for uh, banks and insurers, making it easier for them to onboard customers, keep up information updated, uh, share that with uh, like members uh, in their networks. Because um, in reality, compliance costs globally for banks is going up higher and higher when it comes to uh, anti-money laundering and know your customer. So by using the KYC shared ledger over the blockchain, they can reduce a lot of those costs and provide a better experience for their customers. Um, the other one is target we've been doing is uh, insurance companies. And once again, that is really about leveraging the blockchain so they can um, issue a uh, insurance, pol- insurance policies faster uh, and record them in the blockchain and then use smart contracts to help with the claims management and really bring that down to uh, almost a real-time claims management system. So why are KYC and AML, uh, why is that compliance expensive? What makes it expensive? Well, well without getting into too much of the tech and kind of surprised myself too when I entered this world is that um, just regulatory bodies uh, uh, in every jurisdiction, they're just requiring more and more information uh, just so banks and the regular can see who, who's banking there. Uh, specifically, you know, people are worried about terrorism, uh, money laundering, uh, you know, high-level criminal activity. And so the requirements they ask for each bank, like saying, you know, you need to collect a certain amount of information. You need to keep all this information up to date. Uh, when a customer comes in and they change places, you have to keep on top of that. So all that stuff, uh, the collection aspect and the verification and the background checks behind it just takes a lot of time and cost uh, in back-end processing. 
And what that does is puts a burden not only just on the bank or the financial institution, but the customer can't get their account open right away. And they sometimes they have to, you know, crowd with many different banks. They have multiple bank accounts and update all the information in each one. So it's a very painful experience uh, for both parties, banks and customers. Yeah, so the information that customers have has to be gotten. And then banks, it sounds like, um, are they easily able to share that information with other institutions? Do they, are they required not to share it? Um, you know, how about that aspect? I, I can see, you know, like um, I moved recently, for instance. So if I have uh, two bank accounts, I get to update both and I have to update all my other information. That's me as the customer. But what about from the bank side? Or the financial institution side. And so, in uh, so the bank has to collect that information from you, and each party has to do it. So, what by leveraging the blockchain and a shared ledger, like where you've uh, we've designed a system, and that's one of our products, uh, our applications that we provide um, in uh, Southeast Asia right now, is that uh, as that example you said, is if it was a shared ledger, and you went to one bank and you gave them the updated information, all the because bet remember what. what what is the blockchain, right? It's for the authentication and verification of data between a bunch of parties that inherently might not trust each other. So by saying, hey, we'll use a shared ledger where we all created the rules at the beginning and know how it's governed and how information is collected. So now, Richard, when you went and updated at one bank and gave them their information, they entered it in. Now, banks two, three, four that you might have accounts with, at the same time, they all have the latest information about Richard, where he's moved to. And they don't have to collect that, and you don't need to go to each place now. Hmm. Okay. Um, is so it, there sound, it sounds pretty. I guess I was gonna say it sounds kind of really basic, but it's a major pain point, and it's actually one of those applications uh, of blockchain where it's it's a I, it's a direct thing that people can be like, yeah, I can implement that now. Where you think of other, you know, a lot of the blockchain applications in the finance world are there's a lot of theoretical ones, but the difference between theoretical and reality. And the different, that gap is really how do you implement it? So such as trade finance, you need to get, yes, it's perfect on the blockchain, but you need to get so many people involved and how do you roll that out fast? Whenever we've talked to people about KYC, identity management, it's like, yes, I have that pain. How can we solve that? So can you give me a, uh, an idea of the scale of the problem? How much do banks around the world, for instance, pay in compliance fees if, if you have a guess? And then how much per customer? Do you have round numbers or ballparks? I don't have round numbers, but I do know that it can take anywhere from days to weeks to get the entire verification done. And the compliance costs, I think what uh, the last time I checked with the bank when they're telling us, like, because they have to employ so many people and do it's 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 pretty high up there. I think it's becoming like might be even like in between five and 10 percent of their costs overall. And for something that's a non-revenue producing uh, aspect is a major thing. And if you can actually bring those costs down and have your customers onboard quicker, then they can start using their accounts and you can start generating revenue from them quicker as well. Yeah, I recently spoke to um, a fellow that works with the R3 consortium. And he said just from one institution that he spoke to, uh, their costs, their back-end costs are like $900 million a year. You know, this is maybe trade settlement and other items, but it certainly included AML, KYC, and you know, all kinds of customer-type activities, which is crazy. I mean, the scale of the problem is probably in the tens, maybe hundreds of billions. I don't know. 
at least 10, 10 billion. Yeah. Well, I was on a, uh, yeah, I was on a panel recently in, uh, uh, for Thomson Reuters, uh, for the ASEAN, you know, Association of Southeast Asian Nations and uh, is around regulation and technology. And, you know, they were on the panel, everybody's talking about compliance. They can't see compliance, co- compliance requirements going down. They can, they're only going to be more demand for it from regulatory. So it's like, how can you, how can you bring the cost down then so everybody can right. benefit? What, what's your estimate then if, um, you know, distributed ledger technology is implemented by various institutions, you know, even in an area, let's say Asia, Southeast Asia, what's your guess on how much costs may come down for them? Uh, well, we're working with uh, a group right now, and a lot of those calculations are being done. But I'm thinking that if uh, I can, I, I, I mean, easily I can see it going down to maybe a tenth of the overall cost, maybe even less, because you just bring it up once and everybody's updated at the same time and mm-hmm. the information is valid, verified. And the big one also is that uh, inst- it's instant in the event that, let's say, something happens or some person's exposed to be a politically exposed person or something wrong, and you want to know, okay, what happened? How did we miss this person? Instantaneously, you get a snapshot on on a shared ledger of all the people coming, uh, of all the things that happened with their identity or when it was changed, when it was recorded onto the ledger, uh, when they changed their address, all those type of things. So um, basically, it gives you a big picture and you can track, trace everything down right away. Yeah, I would think, um, well, I don't know if people have a say in what's going to happen here. And I think maybe people may be concerned because, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it's funny, it, it, it may end up being a, uh, the enabling of Big Brother, because if you have your information on this ledger, fine, you know, if you're a regular person, it may benefit you. You may be able to open accounts faster. You may have less problems. Maybe it will be harder to corrupt your data uh, by bad actors that may want to you know, hurt you, steal your data, et cetera. What happens if the ledger is updated in the way that you don't want it to be or in a way that's inaccurate? Now it's there. Um, it's everywhere, you know, across all your accounts, et cetera. Is there a way to take it back uh, with blockchain? Probably no. Or is there a way to fix it? You know, is there a remedy for mistakes that will inevitably be made with people's data? Yeah, the, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, as you go, you can't you can't erase it, but you can you know override or say you know give the most recent one of hey what is the correct information. What what it also requires is participation from government bodies, government databases that also can verify certain addresses or uh, proof of where people work. Um, and so you know if you have those APIs, you can. When you collect information, you you can actually pull it from that government database, which in certain countries like Singapore have and everybody contributes to. And that's the golden truth that you can match up against. Now, if there's a discrepancy between what you collected and what's on that golden truth, then the bank can say to the customer that, hey, there's something wrong here and we can't, you know, you need to get this corrected. Either you need to get the golden truth updated with the government or your address, something's wrong here and we can't, it won't be recorded onto the system. So that's one way around it is when you have those, when you have the ability uh, with everybody participating in the government that, hey, there are certain information that you can collect against and verify. Are are nations okay with um, being on a blockchain or distributed ledger that goes across or involves multiple countries? 
or do they want their own for their country and the other country wants their own so they have some more control over it? What do you see? It's, it all comes down to the application. So let's just keep, if we're staying on the topic of uh, KYC and AML, um, each jurisdiction has their own rules and requirements of what they have to do. So it's harder to do, uh, you know, cross-border type of things. Now, maybe in certain regions where, let's just let's, let's stick with the topic of uh, Southeast Asia and ASEAN, um, the ABA, uh, you know, Association of uh, ASEAN Bankers Association. Now, maybe if they all agree that, hey, there's a lot of movement between our people in Southeast Asia because of jobs or migrant workers, maybe it's better if we all just, if we're all running on the same type of KYC shared ledger and the same type of product, then we can cross those information and make it easier for everybody. So I think it'll just it'll just have to be approached step by step. Yeah, I mean you have you have a an eye into it, a perspective because you're working with it. So you know, let me turn the the questions that way. What are you seeing that most people wouldn't see, particularly in Southeast Asia, with these kind of technologies? What are you seeing that surprises you? That doesn't surprise you? That you know, that may be important for outside people to hear about? Let's see. I guess. Uh, a couple of things is one is um, the news, I guess the news blockchain and the way it makes it look like, you know, all the financial world is adopting it and they're going crazy over this stuff is yes, they're interested, but stuff that's really happening is still moving a lot slower. And I don't put that as one of the standard things. Everybody says, you know, banks are slow and they're archaic and things like that. Um, it's really banks are banks. They're large institutions that are heavily regulated and lots and lots of layers of people and gatekeepers. So it just, I don't think it's by design that, oh, we want to move slow. It's just, that's just the way they are and the way information moves across an organization at that size. So um, that's one. The other one I would say is uh, being on the inside or working with it is it does require a lot of domain uh, I mean, not a lot, but you need to have domain knowledge here. So you have to be working with the banks. Like, there's a, there's a difference between saying something could be on the blockchain and we can disrupt it, or this is what banks need to do. And then there's there's reality of okay, how do you actually implement it into a bank, and how do you understand these regulations? Like, let's take for example, stay with the concept of KYC. You know, a lot of companies sit there and say we did KYC on the blockchain or identity management. Yes, the technology is there and it can be done. And if you've got some smart people, you can really build it. Now, that's implemented into a banking situation where how do you know what the requirements are inside? How do you know how information flows between a bank of all those parties and those compliance departments? How do you figure out how to get into their back end and satisfy the government? Like Those are all things that is domain expertise and you need to know. And you can't do that on the outside and just kind of shout about it. Uh, and that's what we learned through this process of uh, building these products with them, is that it was a learning experience and collaboration between the two, because there's no way we could build that product on our own from the outside. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can't just, yeah, you can't just walk in there and say, all right, guys, we're disrupting you, you know, into a bank, for instance, that has, uh, you know, I don't know worldwide 200,000 employees that, like you said, gatekeepers, they have their own system. You have to come in and learn how they do things first and then show your solution and say, all right, this will be helpful to you and here's why. You can't just say, we're coming in and disrupting you. You know, It's, it's not going to happen. Is what you're saying. Yeah. These are just gigantic institutions and 
yeah, things are done the way they're done for a reason. Well, even if, let's just even take the word disruption out, even if you're saying, I've got a solution for you, and go, come here, buy this thing. Uh, it, there's a big, yeah, there's, <laughs> like understanding how it actually works on the inside is uh, very different. And that has nothing even to do with disruption. It's just as providing a solution to a market. True. So talk to me a little bit about um, regulators. You say, you know, they always worry about terrorism and money laundering, et cetera. Is that overblown? Yeah. I mean, really, is it that bad? Or is that the excuse that, that governments uh, are making to, you know, just to regulate more and more and more and exert control? Is this really a, you know, this is just opinion, but do you, do you think it's really just a power grab or is, are these problems really that bad? I don't think it's a uh, power grab. And I also don't think it's a, the, the problem is that bad, but I just think it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it just kind of manifests on itself and grew that, okay, we just need to add more. We just need to add more. Because sometimes you sit there and you think, it's like, you know, I do the math in my head. I'm like, all these costs, all this is like, people are inherently very trustful and good people, I believe. Are we really going through all this just for a, a very small portion of the population? And uh, so it's just one of those weird things that kind of just grows on its own. So I don't, I don't think it's a sense of uh, control or requirement because no bank actually wants to do that. And the government doesn't really want that much work, but they're just so afraid. And, you know, just somebody pushes something. I, I mean, I think the example is, uh, I, I learned that uh, this is something, a thought experiment that uh, I remember, you know, when 9-11 happened and somebody said, let's just say the very day before there was a national thing in Canada and the U.S. that said, you know what, we're bolting all the doors of the of the planes and we're doing high security check. You got to take it off of your shoes. Every single thing, everybody around the world would have been like, why are we doing this? This is insane. You just inconvenienced us all because nobody knew what could happen, right? right. Imagine that happened just the day before. No one would have known what the result was and what they saved themselves from. So I think that type of mentality is kind of creeped into everything now. Oh, better safe than sorry. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Very interesting. So can you talk about... Um, we talked a little bit about use cases, how they would work. So specifically, what's Bluezell offering? You know, can you get can you get into some of the specifics on uh, a couple of the use cases? Like, how would it look to the bank to the customer? You know, you talked about me. Um, you know, let's say, like I said, I moved and I have like four accounts. Mechanically, what happens? I I get on my uh, my smartphone and I'm logged into my one of my banks and. I update my information, and then what? Seconds later, they're all updated. You know, can you step me through how this would actually work and look in uh, when it's implemented fully? Yeah, some of your solutions. So, let's say you're Richard. Uh, you walk into Bank A, and you said, "Hey, you know what? I've never been here before." Uh, you, you go, "Hey, I'd like to open an account." You know, you show your ID. The bank, the relationship manager, could say, "Hey, let me just check if you're on our shared ledger here um, that we have in our region." They look you up and they say, oh, I'd say you're not. Okay, so let's, uh, here's our standard process of opening an account verification. So they collect all that information from you, you know, the documents, the photos, all those things, uh, enter it into the system. And then, you know, they go and verify that against the golden truth uh, or other types of information they have to just verify that is you and you are working there. Once all those checks come up, they, they would do a risk rating or see, hey, did any 
adverse news come about, Richard? Uh, no, everything looks good. They can say, yeah, the, the completely zero risk with this person that's entered into there. And then once they say, okay, proceed, uh, all that basically would create an identity for Richard uh, onto their shared distributed ledger there and uh, say, okay, he's, uh, he's a go. Now, three weeks later, you go to bank two because you want, you like their visa card. You show up and you say, hey, I'd like to open an account because I want to get your visa. They go, let's check out our shared ledger. And they say, oh, it looks like you're on here. Uh, do you grant us permission to uh, look at your data, your KYC data? And you said, yes. They send you a one-time password. You reply back. And now on their system, they can see all the information that was collected from bank A is sitting there. All the documents, they know, they know everything was done right because all the parties on that network had already agreed to the rules of the network. And, uh, you know, they might ask you, hey, did you, anything happen? Did you guys, are you still living at such and such address? Oh, no, I'm somewhere else. They give you some proof that gets validated. And all, maybe there are 10 banks on this network. And now all of them have the latest address of, uh, of yourself. And it just goes on from there. Okay. Very good. How long, I mean, where are you guys at with the implementation? I mean, how long of a road is this? Years more, mm-hmm. 10 years more? What, when do you think this will become prevalent, even just in your area in Southeast Asia? Oh, I would say within the next 12 months. We are, wow. uh, the, like, the product is, uh, we're just pretty much finished it up. It is, uh, we are, even for the last six months, we're always getting demand about, hey, we want to be part of this product. Where is it at? And we say, hey, we're just in uh, for the development. It's almost finishing. We have a uh, partnership with uh, KPMG in um, in Southeast Asia and on a global level now. And they're getting demand because this is this is just a common pain point uh, everywhere around the world. So now people are starting to contact them directly, us directly, saying, you know, when can we see this product? We want to know how we can implement or what are the steps to going through. And then it's also reaching past banks, whether it's insurance or even even companies that have multiple entities on their own and might need to do KYC on them. Uh, they can use this because now they can keep all their uh, different subgroups uh, in sync together. Oh, very nice. Wow, a year is not long. That's yeah, crazy. it's one of those ones I believe in uh, the blockchain space. This application is because it's, uh, it's a big enough pain point and you can relatively implement it pretty fast. You don't need, uh, you know, a crazy network effect to do so. So, for example, you know, we all know payments on the blockchain for settlement and everything is fantastic. That was one of the things that brought us into it. Uh, and we thought, oh, banks would totally adopt this. But, I mean, is Swift perfect? No, but it's got a large network effect and it works good enough. So, the cost of all banks is switching over to a real-time payment network uh, over the blockchain is very high when, like I said, Swift does work. Well, it seems like a, a hill to climb, but the other side of the hill is a lot lower. You know, if it's a cost hill, is there will be an initial cost and pain of switching, but once they're on the other side, they'll save so much money that they should should be very happy. But I guess that that's the difficulty is getting them over this hump. Yeah, when it comes to payments and the blockchain for banks specifically. Yeah, right. For instance, okay. Any other financial institutions you're working with or banks more than enough? <laughs> uh, sorry, what was that? Any other financial institutions you're working with, such as, uh, you know, stocks, options, et cetera, 
or are banks more than enough of a challenge to take on? Uh, we focus, we're, what we're focusing on is what our technology does. So uh, really, at the heart of it, Buzel is creative, a middleware that, like I said, it takes away all the hard work and the plumbing of the blockchain. And then we compartmentalize our the applications we can build for the customer into three sets or three groups. So, uh, you know, what we started was always a real-time payment, specifically with uh, the Ripple protocol, then uh, smart contracts, and then uh, records management. So now with real-time payments, it's usually, you know, we did a bunch of interbank payments over the blockchain that work. But uh, what we're really seeing is how do you use that same protocol for, let's just say, rewards platforms and loyalty? Because an asset is an asset. Uh, currency could be a point or it could be a fiat currency. So those learnings apply there. Uh, smart contracts is really around insurance. So we've got uh, customers around there that we're doing. And uh, uh, records management is like KYC, digital identity. It can roll to there. So what we try to assess is um, if a use case comes to us, how does it leverage one of those three? So we've got the technology and the expertise. And then can we deploy a product uh, in a reasonable amount of time? What's happened over the last couple of months also is uh, non-financial companies have been coming to us because they understand they become educated on the blockchain and have certain pain points themselves that need to be taken care of, primarily around security and uh, preventing fraud. And then um, the way I understand this technology stack is you have distributed ledgers, which is a ledger that's distributed. Then you have blockchain, which uses cryptography to secure data. Um, then you may add on a a token, and you have Ripple for uh, you know it's XRP token. How much of the technology stack is necessary for these applications? You know, distributed ledger great, cryptographically secure blockchain is great. Is a token needed? Are other aspects of it needed? You're only using part of the stack to um, create these solutions. Well, I mean, in, in all general, I mean. They're all distributed technologies. Uh, blockchains, as you know, you pointed out correctly, it's just become the catch-up. Blockchains, blockchains are much buzzworthy and easier term to say than distributed ledger technologies, right? So everybody just refers to them, them all as blockchain, when technically they're not all a blockchain, right? Such as Ripple, they're not a blockchain. Um, I guess the token, this is a, a little, quite a thing. A token is only, the big question is like, what? Well, you don't use a token just for the sake of it. It has to have inherent use in the product. So let's just say mm-hmm. in our um, in the KYC system we built, there's no there's no real token on there because it's it's not really needed. Now in the Ripple protocol, they use a token for two things as a bridge currency when there's no connection between two separate currencies that might match. Then they can all it it they connect to XRP, then X, uh, go to the third currency. And it's also used as a spam protection, so no one can overload the system because XRP is needed as fuel to run a transaction. Hmm. So it really comes down to the use of uh, is a token needed or not for that specific application. Okay. Well, very good. Um, we're kind of out of time. Uh, we could go into the other use cases, insurance, et cetera. But I think we, you know, I wanted to make a, a clear. Um, I wanted to cover this in a clear and simple way. So it's not, you know, gobbledygook. It's not just buzzwords. And I'm glad that it seems like your whole goal is to take, you know, take away all the complexity for banks and insurance companies and just make it simple for them to use. That's great. Any um, any last items you wanted to cover that we didn't talk about? 
I think for now, this uh, it was really good. I like the focus of uh, how you know where the conversation went, where it's just like let's just focus on one particular area and go a bit deeper on there, as opposed to just talk about uh, all general things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you cap- you captured it correct. Is uh, that is our goal? Is you know what we say to a bank is you don't really care what the technology is, right? <laughs> like what you care about is a certain problem. And how and a pain point for your business and how can it help it? I guess the one thing uh, I'll add is in all our discussions with uh, some of the, the uh, some enterprises is when they're looking at things now, especially being innovative, they need to see that it moves the needle. So and that, that was one of the things I learned from talking to one of the an insurance a big insurance company, uh, uh, somebody who's the head of innovation, and he said to me, he said, Pavel, you know, we don't want to bring you guys on that just solves a little back-end thing and we hire you for a POC for three months, we do that, and then you guys go off. And he's like, what are we going to do with that? And he says, come to me with something that can move the needle. That's really, not saying disruptive, but it can really jump because he goes, if it's just uh, faster, better, faster, cheaper, that's just kind of a dent. It doesn't do anything. Show something that really moves the needle and then we can move forward. And then that's when I came down to the conclusion is that and this kind of guides us uh, in terms of our technology and the applications that we'll take on, or let's say a use case, is that what is a bank, what is any company really looking for a bank? They're looking for better products for a changing market and distribution. That's really it. So forget about back-end uh, things. It's like, how can, you le- how can you make those two things? Can we make distribution uh, easier for them? And mm-hmm. can you give products to a changing market? And why I say products to a changing market is, the smart financial institutions and insurers, they're realizing what is happening. So let's just take insurance, for example. Uh, yeah. And we can, t- we can talk on this topic deeper in another time. Is The market for an insurer is vastly different over the next 10 years than it was when I bought insurance, you did, or my dad did. Uh, take, for example, uh, let's say my kids, they're under 10 years old. It's very likely, and this is with a high degree of confidence, I'm saying almost like more than probably 95% confidence, they may never buy car insurance in their entire life. Right. And that is because they'll live in a major cosmopolitan city, whether it's, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, New York, London. Uh, so they'll take public transit or because uh, it's really cost effective or they'll take a ride sharing service. That's, that's just what's going to happen. Now, if you think about an yeah. insurer, that's like if a person gets car insurance, like I'm from Vancouver. And if I stayed there, it's like I bought car insurance, started driving at 16. So I had car, had to get car insurance from the time of 16. And let's say you lived, let's say you driving age up to 76. That's 60 years of revenue taken off their books. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah and multiply that uh, over and over again. So they need to think, how do we sell a product? What kind of product is that person going to need? And fundamentally, if they use the blockchain, they can start doing more experimental products and test them out because with a blockchain, you can basically bring the cost of issuing that invoice and managing uh, issuing that insurance policy and managing the claim down drastically with smart contracts and the blockchain. So that allows you to build newer, uh, different type of products such as usage-based insurance, uh, different types of personal injury insurance that you can buy on the fly. Let's just say, you know, I decide to bike across Europe and I just need some simple bike insurance. I should be able to buy that quickly and it should cover me when I go from region to region. So it's just way, new ways for them to explore. So that's where uh, we started thinking like those are the real fundamental pain points that you would need to solve uh, on a consumer level. And really that has nothing to do with the Okay. Yeah. 
blockchain is the one one way to solve those. Oh, great, Papa. I, I appreciate it. I like talking to you because uh, the conversation is not like frenetic and, you know, we're covering some important stuff. Um, you know, I want to thank you for coming. And as a last item, can you let listeners know how they can get in touch with Blue Zell and uh, start a conversation with you if they're interested? Yeah, the easiest way is, um, you know, basically go to our website. Um, they'll have, uh, they can see the contact information on there. Or for your listeners, they can contact me directly at Pavel, P-A-V-E-L, at bluezell.com. That's B-L-U-Z-E-L-L-E.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.